following sermon is from Dr. Dan Kitnoya, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you've never reached out to Calvary before, we'd like to hear from you. Visit our website, calvarytilton.com. That's calvarytilton.com. And now, here's Dr. Dan. If you have a, your copy of the scriptures, join me if you would in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. It was uh, a night just like any other night working on 3 North at the uh, behavioral rehab facility with teenagers and whenever a call would go over the PA system, code green on such and such unit, my, my responsibility usually was to go to another unit and occasionally, because I got tired of always having to tackle, I mean therapeutically restrained teenagers, occasionally I would ask someone else to go. But if, one day the f they started to realize brother, Mr. Dan is actually good at restraining kids because he's big. So one day a, a phone call or a thing goes over the PA, uh, code green on two north and I didn't go and so then they called and specifically requested me which should have alerted me this one was going to be bad and so we get there and, uh, and I just hear this like King Kong in there pounding on this wall and there's this room called the timeout room and uh, it's, it's reinforced walls and it's got a steel door well this large young man managed to kick a steel door till it bent and was bent out through the door frame. That's not supposed to happen. And so the nurse goes, okay, guys, you got to formulate a plan. And I'm looking at this guy who's like built like an off, legitimately an NFL offensive lineman, roughly this tall as Chad and about 300 some pounds. And I thought, call the National Guard because that's the plan. I knew I'd met my match and it wasn't just going to be me. I imagined quickly trying to grab a hold of him and then him turning around flinging me. And so I said, let me, has anybody tried talking to him? And they're like, well, we've tried and nothing's working. So I said, let me try one more time before I die, okay? Let's try this. Let's try one more time. And I kind of inch my way in there. I'm like, hey, buddy, can I come in? And I inch my way in there and I, I start just like, what's going on? Like I, played, I did the Columbo routine, right? I was like asking questions, like really confused and and he starts calming down, and then they say, I'm like, what's going on? He's like, nobody loves me. See, my job was to restrain him because his behavior was bad. Me and a, it would have taken like seven of us to bring this guy down this time. My job was to restrain him in response to the bad behavior. But catch this. The behavior was a result of what was going on in his heart. Ultimately, without getting into all the details, and a kid like that bounced around, home to home, no stability, no love, not a lot of parenting influence, and whatever it was does not appear to have been positive. Right? And then we look at our country today, it seems like there's a, my old pastor, very wise man, used to say that if you look at the sweep of history, it's like a pendulum swings, right? So 50, 80 years ago, it seemed like we're really really enamored with authoritarian discipline. That's not all completely wrong, but it seemed like it caused a rebellion against it. Now it swung the other way. And this morning, I fired up my computer and I turn on the internet and I get a news feed and it says, so-and-so's son has been officially approved of at, by the court, whatever court, I don't know, that they have officially legally changed their gender and their name. And this is a child. 
So if we've gone from this excessive authoritarianism to the other extreme of the pendulum, where we literally won't tell a kid, no, you really are born a boy, stay that way, we have gone the other way. Our country is really confused about the purpose of parenting. And to be, to be frank with you, the church is not immune to this either. And so what we need, and I would say what our culture needs, but we are in the house of God, and so what we need, which is what the culture needs, is a word from God about what the purpose of parenting is. Parents, according to God's word, you have been given authority to shepherd your child's heart so that they know how to relate well to God and to others. As parents, we must catch this. Empower our children to become self-controlled people living under the authority of God. Catch that, self-controlled. We must empower our children to live to become self-controlled people living under the authority of God. And we'll see that this morning, beginning in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. Please stand if you're able to. We haven't done this in a while. Please stand if you're able to in honor of the reading of God's word. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the word of God, which gives us counsel. And we pray that we have hearts that were submissive to your will, because without your direction and your guidance, we are like everyone else of people uh, adrift at sea. Help us to be wise. Help us to be parents who know how to use the authority you've given us for your good and the for your glory and the good of our children. And I pray for us who uh, our kids that we would recognize that we have a responsibility to submit to the authority of our parents. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. One of the things that young people, you may not know this, but I don't know if they still do this, but back in the day when songwriters were actually good, their albums would actually tell a story from start to finish. And so one of those actual albums that came out in the 1970s, I believe it was, was The Wall by Pink Floyd. And there's a line from one of the songs that is well known, and it pretty well speaks of a rebellion against authority. As soon as I say the line, you'll know it. We don't need no education. We don't need no thought control. Now that obviously screams of a rejection of authority, but, but since I know how songwriters wrote songs, what I know is they were telling a story, and if you had the whole album, you would know there was a song right before it called The Great Happiest Days of Our Lives. And sometimes the radio would actually play them together. It was really short. And it would say, when we grew up and went to school, there were certain teachers who would hurt the children any way they could. Pouring their derision on, on everything we did, exposing every weakness, however carefully hidden by the kid. Now, I'm not going to say that I know that's how the teachers in Britain were functioning. If that was true, it might explain the, follow, the song that followed, might it not? What they were complaining about in the happiest days of our lives 
was an abuse and misuse of authority. And so, of course, the kids rebelled in the next song. Now, when we think about this, we have a culture that's kind of really confused about we don't like authority. We don't have a king. We vote for a president. If it's not the one we like, we trash talk him for four years or eight. And if our team wins, well, everything's great. Right? So we don't like authority as adults. And, and, but here's the thing. Biblical authority is not wrong. It's, the question is, is how do we use the authority that God has given us? As a husband, my authority is not to clubber my wife. My authority is not to headlock my children into submission. I hope I never have to grab my kid in a way like that, to be honest with you. So then what is the purpose of authority in the home? Before I get into that, I want to give you the backdrop of Ephesians so you kind of get where this all fits. In Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, the dis- salvation is described as a complete gift of grace. Now, I know sometimes Christians are not really comfortable with this language, but it's in the Bible, so I'm just going to use it. You ready? It describes the saved person as being elect, chosen by God from before the foundation of the world. Catch this. Grace, then, is not contingent in salvation upon you. It's completely an act of God's grace. Does that mean you aren't expected to respond? It absolutely, you are. But get this, if you are a saved person, it's because of God's grace. Period. So after describing this, then he says, okay, because you're saved by grace, here then is how you are supposed to act. Chapter 4, here's how you function in the church. Chapter 5, you are to then be imitators of God. Chapter 5 later talks about the husband's relationship to the, to the wife and how the way wife is to relate to the husband and is to be a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. And then in chapter 6, he addresses fathers and their children. Now this is a little lost on this in a culture that literally the schools in some parts of the country will kind of undermine you when you're trying to teach them biblical morality. Father had unquestioned authority in the home. And so what Paul says to them is, hey, look, Dad, you have unquestioned authority legally, but you stand under God's authority. You have authority then to shepherd your child in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And he says, hey, kids, You're under Christ now, and because you are under Christ, you are to submit to your father's and your mother's authority. So God has placed you, parents, in authority over your children. He has placed you in authority over your children. Both parent and child are under God's authority. And biblical parenting requires us to use our authority to shepherd the heart of our children. Well, why is that? Why, what's the emphasis on the heart? Why not just give more rules? The, the, the Pharisees tried that. There wasn't enough rules in the Bible, so they added 600 more. It didn't work out well because they had a hard time obeying the first rules in the first place. Why? Because their hearts were not right towards God. Before I, before I go on, I've got to say this so I don't forget it. You ready? Um, there's a passage in the Bible where God says, These people honor me with their lips external conformity, but their hearts are far from me. The heart is the issue. 
God's word explains that our behavior is produced by our heart. Listen to Proverbs 4.23. Keep or guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Guard your heart against bitterness, unforgiveness, pride, arrogance. What does pride look like? It looks a lot of different ways. But for example, when you've, been, when you've realized that you've done the wrong thing and yet you bow up, stiffen your back and say, I'm doing this, pride. Arrogance, anger. Guard your heart against unforgiveness. Guard your heart, for from, from it flow the springs of life. When that guy, that huge kid, was tearing apart a timeout room, by the way, as soon as he said, nobody loves me, he sat down in a, in a heap and started bawling. And then everyone, all the brave people, came in afterwards and gave him medicine to calm him down. Tough people. From his heart was flowing this violent behavior. Does that mean he gets off the hook morally and legally for acting that way? No. But understand it starts with the heart. Jesus addressed this in Mark chapter 7, verse 20 to 23. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him, not what you eat. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defiled a person. So what's the summary here? Heart attitudes, direct behavior. Heart attitudes, direct behavior. Now, for some who might be skeptical of the Bible, it doesn't understand the heart at all. It's this muscle that pumps blood. Yeah, but that's true and the Bible doesn't, is not ignorant of that. But when it talks about the heart, He's talking about the control center of the human being. So the heart is what directs behavior. This makes the heart the issue, not just the behavior. As I'm standing here to preach, I'm, I'm trying to synthesize and not give you too many stories. I've got lots of them. I did my doctorate in family ministry. I worked in a psych hospital. I'm raising kids, and I've worked in youth ministry for a long time. So I'm going to try to keep it sparing, or we'll be here till like 1 o'clock, and there'll be a, a rebellion against this. But I remember a parent, a couple of parents, and I won't, I'll, I'll be sparing in some of the details, but there was some disagreement about how to discipline the child. One parent was like really lenient, and the other one was trying to be a more realistic disciplinarian. Well, the more realistic disciplinarian, all of a sudden, the girl grabs a hold of her hair and won't let go. When she was putting her in, a, in the car seat. Finally, dad woke up and was like, why did she do that? Because the heart is what drives behavior. And that was the right question, why? And everything changed from there for them. Understanding that the heart drives the behavior changes the purpose of discipline. Understanding that the heart is what drives behavior changes the purpose of discipline. Discipline isn't necessarily just to get your child into conformity. And it can't be because they annoyed you or embarrassed you in front of the church. Did I just say that? As a pastor with four kids, by the way, I'm really grateful for the way you treat my kids. Because not every, not every pastor has an experience where their kids can be corrected but not humiliated. And I've got that here. 
But as a pastor, there's very much this pressure of make sure our kids don't act out of sorts. I can't, listen, I can't discipline them. Look, there's some things that they will say and do that I kind of know who they are and why they're doing it that you may not fully get. And it might imp- I can't spank them and discipline them because you didn't like it. Like, I have to discipline my child based off of who they are. Does that mean I'm throwing rules out the window? No, I promise you we're not. But as parents, we can't discipline because they embarrassed us or humiliated us or made us angry. Kids, kids can make you angry, in case you didn't know. That's ultimately when we're disciplining because of the heart, what we're really dealing with is their heart towards God and others. What difference does that make? Well, in case you haven't noticed, America's not real big on manners lately. Have you noticed this? Can I tell you at least, from a, a man from Generation X, can I give you probably what I think is the reason? People gave us rules about manners but never told us why. And our generation was like, why am I going to do that? The reason you don't burp in someone's face, for instance, is because it is a failure to express love to your neighbor. The reason good manners actually matter is because ultimately manners, at least they used to be, were an expression of love towards your neighbors. I had to read a book to find that out. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Why didn't anybody tell me that? Here I'm trying to be, just do my thing. And it's because it's an expression of love towards other people. We must help our children then understand how sin shows a heart that has strayed from God. And this then allows us to lead them to the cross. Am I saying external behavior doesn't matter? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that's the symptom and the root cause is what's going on in here. And it reveals that just like the rest of us, just like you, by the way, your, parents, your children inherited a sin condition from you. And by the way, they're sinners by birth and then by choice. And when they sin, it actually gives you an opportunity to unmask the sin problem and they realize, hey, my heart's not right towards God. And guess what? God, he solved the problem. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. He lived a sinless life, died on the cross in your place, rose again the third day. And now if you repent, that's turn from the pursuit of sin, turn to him as Lord and Savior. Lord means he's the boss. And in faith, begin to follow him, trusting him that his death on the cross paid for your sins. That's one of the things that we shoot for as parents is to lead the child's heart to God. Because the heart is the wellspring of life. Therefore, parenting is concerned with shepherding the heart. The heart is the wellspring of life. Therefore, parenting is concerned with shepherding the heart. And so we need to understand our child's heart in, two, in regards to two relationships. Number one, their relationship to the shaping influences of life. We'll talk about those but their relationship to the shaping influence of life, and number two, their relationship to God. We're going to talk about shaping influences, real, but really quick, i got to say this. There tends to be two responses when we talk about shaping influences of, of a child's life. Number one is to live in denial of it. No, that's not the way it is. And then the other side is to sort of exaggerate it and say, if this happens, then this will happen. Like making a cake, you put eggs, flour, sugar, cocoa powder, throw it in the oven at 350 for however long you're supposed to cook that for, and out comes a cake. Well, 
add this ingredient to your child, this ingredient to the child, this type of discipline, and this will happen. Experience tells you that's not really how it works out. Right? Does that mean we don't try to do the right thing, give the best inputs into our kids? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is it's not determinism. Like, this doesn't... But this gives them the best chance to become the God, person that God wants them to be. So let's, let, let's look at the shaping influences. Number one, structure of family life. What does that mean? Well, what's family life, at your, life like at your house? You know, at my house, we've got four kids, one, three boys, one girl, and it's not the same for Kenny as it is for Trinity. And Carter and Kenny don't have the same experience, right? And what's the home life like? Are you guys running from one event to the next, kind of like ours, you know, or are they involved with church life? How busy does that make them? And those are some of the things that are just part of the structure of family life. Um, what about family values? What's likely to cause mom or dad to fuss? A fight at school or torn jeans? What's likely to cause a fuss? What, what things cause mom and dad to have a conversation with you at the dinner table without the other kids around what are the family values? Family roles. You know, what is mom's role? What is dad's role? How does this function? You know, this isn't mechanical. Dan and Chrissy kind of have their way of being a husband and wife, and, and, and so do you. And so who, what are the roles? Who, who, who takes all the kids to, to, the, to the doctor's appointments? Who, who pays the bills? Who goes to work? Does dad come home and ever actually talk to the kids or... What about mom? Is, what's her job? Is she the only... My kids know she's more the disciplinarian than I am. And so I figured out they're trying to leverage us against each other. But we have family roles. What are the family roles? What about the family response to failures? See, in this world, our kids, they're trying to... It's a complicated world, and it's... How do they respond? How do we respond when they mess up? When they say something awkward, put the foot in the mouth? When, how do we respond when, when they fail? Do we embarrass them and humiliate them and shame them? Or do we act like it never happened? What, what's the family's response to failure? Family history. Family history. Um, some of this is inside of your control and some of it isn't. Death of a parent. Uh, did mom and dad, mom or dad begin to live in the home while you were raising them and they, the, the child saw them you know, deteriorate and pass away? Did they see that? That's family history stuff. And then as parents, you wrestle through things like, do we try to shield my kid from it? Is it even possible to shield them from it? Should we, should we do it? And, and so those are the things. What, what about uh, divorce or financial struggles? I grew up in a home where uh, my dad was unemployed during the winter because he worked at on a boat. He unloaded boats and Lake Erie freezes over in the winter and so this affected our home life. Uh, and so family history, family conflict resolution. Do, do mom and dad talk it out? Do they, do they explode in front of the kids? Do, you know, Chrissy's dad never raised his voice as best as I can tell. From what, so I had to learn to tone it down a little bit. How, how, do the, how, do, how are conflicts resolved? Do they talk about it? Do they just ignore it and pretend it and hope it'll go away? Guess what? It never goes away. Do we yell about it? Do we, does anyone ever apologize or ask for forgiveness? Those things are shaping influence that will affect your children, our children. Family conflict resolution and how many parents is the child exposed to? You know, through just the way things are, do they have 
you know, mom and dad might be divorced, and so has mom remarried or dad remarried? How many parents are they then exposed to? Then there's all kinds of things like birth order, how many kids are in the family. All of this stuff is shaping for a child. These are shaping influences, and they are catalysts uh, that make our children into the person they become. But this isn't like scientific in the sense of you put in this, this is guaranteed to be the outcome. But we can't pretend that this isn't part of reality. And, and so as parents, what we then do is to learn how to shepherd their response to some of these situations. Because while these are shaping influences, a lot of what, how it shapes them depends on how they respond to these catalysts. I remember one of my friends, he kind of, I'll, I'll be sparing on details, but his home life was not like mine. I'll say it that way. Mom and dad were a little different than mine. And I remember he st when he started dating this girl, and she was actually a pretty smart girl, pretty mature, and after she kind of, it dawned on her what his life was like, she says, how did you turn out so good? Because while these shaping influences are real, ultimately how we respond to them as people is what is ultimately going to have the final say. And so as parents, we shepherd our child through this. One of the things that I, over the years, having worked with youth so much and interacted with moms and dads, and I have had several moms who, uh, for various reasons, they were separated or divorced from their husband, and so now because of law, uh, the children are in two different homes. And sometimes the moms uh, would be expressed concern because they knew that the influences at the ex-husband's house was not in line with what God was trying to do. What she was, how she was trying to raise them to be godly, dad wasn't doing that. In fact, I've even known of dads who, because they knew the wife was trying to raise them to know, honor, and obey Jesus, that they amped it up a little more. One even brought pornography in the home so that the kids can experiment. Yes, these are real concerns. As parents, those, some of those things are beyond your control. Ask a single parent what that's like. You can shepherd them through some of this as parents. Talk to them, ask questions, share with them the values that you have. So that's how we, so first thing is that we've looked at was then our, the response to shaping influences. But the second thing is their response to God. You see, children are worshipers. They either worship God or they worship idols. Parent, children are worshipers. They either worship God or worship idols. And the same is true of adults. Well, let's, um, what are some biblical terms for idolatry? Well, um, idols include fear of men, evil, evil desires, lusts, pride, conformity to the world, embracing earthly mindsets, and setting our affection on things below. Idols really are talking about idols of the heart. So I put up three things. So, uh, you know, I, put, I threw myself under the bus up there. But idols can be all kinds of things that are normally good, but if they become the thing that determines everything about you or most things about you, like football or getting degrees or just being an intellectual or whatever the case may be, those things can become idols in the heart and those will dictate so much of how your child responds. So parents must shepherd their child's heart to worship God. To worship God. Shepherding the hearts of our children. How then do we do some of this stuff? Let's review a little bit. Number one, focus 
on the heart more than on the behavior because the behavior springs from what's going on in the inner man, the inner woman, our inner child, as they say. Focus more on the heart than on the behavior. That doesn't mean the behavior doesn't matter, but the heart is ultimately. See, when we don't focus on the heart and we simply focus on conformity to rules, we might get people who learn how to honor us with their lips, but their hearts are far from us. So focus on the heart. Second thing, understand and manage the shaping influences that are within our control. Understand and manage the shaping influences that are within our control. You know, one of the things that was a big shock to me was when parents would come to me as a youth pastor and say, my kid's uh, addicted to video games and this actually caused fights in our home and they're using the cell phone for evil things. And I was like, why don't you take the cell phone away from them? They're like, well, we can't do that. I'm like, you sure can. Aren't you the one that pays for the thing? And, and so as, as a parent, you can understand, understand shaping influences and then manage them when they're in your control, right? Uh, third thing, this is an important one. Children must understand that they are responsible for how they respond to parenting. Children must understand that they are responsible for how they respond to your parenting. You can tell them this flat out. In fact, I did an experiment. And I will tell you the results. About a month and a half, two months ago, we went to the Creation Museum and we spent the night at the hotel and we were hanging around in the room and we didn't, thankfully, did not have the TV on. And we were talking. We, we have devotions pretty frequently in our home. And so I just started, we started talking uh, about the things of God. And I don't, even, uh, I don't remember how it exactly got to this point. I said, kids, mom and dad are going to do everything we can in our power to make sure that you know, honor, and obey Jesus. We do devotions. We take you to things like the Creation Museum. We go to church. We send you to First Baptist School. But then I looked and I said, but you have to decide for yourself if you are going to submit to Jesus' authority. I can't make you do that. And all three of the boys, the, the daughter's a little bit young to really get all this, but I saw on their face the, the gravity of what they got. It. They got it, certainly the older two boys. <clears throat> and so yesterday we're sitting at lunch, and Kenny's he's in this really helpful phase right now, and he says, Dad, is there anything I can do to help uh, with your sermon prep? I'm like, well, actually, just keep doing stuff that's good. I won't tell. So I said, I tell stories about you. Usually I won't share the bad ones, but the good ones. And so I reminded them of that conversation. And again, his face was like heavy on him. And Austin goes, was that the one where we talked about beer? So he remembered the conversation too. We talked about why we don't drink beer in our family and all this stuff. And then, but yeah, they felt the weight of it. And then when I reminded him about two hours later, the same thing. You see, as parents, it's, good to tell your children we are doing everything we can to make sure you know love love god and know that he loves you but you're the one that's going to have to ultimately choose whether you're going to submit to him and believe in him i can't choose it for you that's what it looks like to shepherd the heart of a child one of the things that i i've wrestled with whether i'm going to use this illustration or not but i'm going to 
Whether it works or not, well, I don't know. Friday morning, Chrissy was taking the kids to school, and I guess I, she must have went out the viaduct and turned left, and she looks over, and there's a car on fire in our parking lot. Not a little bit of smoke, engulfed in flames. You see the little buckets out there? I went out there to clean up this morning and realized this is a big project. I got the, uh, the, the glass out that I could, but it was, some of it was fused to the blacktop. That car's totaled, right? Nobody got hurt, so just relax. But that, what an illustration, because my children, and many of you, for that matter, have been, have been raised in a church, and even this church, right next door to hell. Because in here, is, it seems like a safe place, but outside of these walls, you're not even realizing that there, is a, there are literal dangers. And outside that window, there's a flaming inferno. As Christian kids, my kids, while we're raised in this Christian home, and three out of the four so far have made professions of faith, because you were raised in a Christian home does not mean you are right with God. It could be that you are right next door to hell and don't even know it. And so as, a, as, a, as an adult, and I don't know if that's even a perfect illustration, but I think you get my point. Growing up in a Christian home does not guarantee you're right with Jesus. And so as parents, while we do what we can to control shaping influences, parents, you are under God's authority to shepherd the heart of your child. Our goal, I don't think, at least mine is, and isn't just to see them learn how to conform to my rules and expectations. I mean, I want that, but that's not, that can't be the driving force. I want them to have a heart that makes them want to honor God and love their neighbors from their own choosing. Whether I'm standing there to approve of it or disapprove of it, I think ultimately when we talk about transformation at Calvary, we talk a lot about transformation. When we are talking about transformation, the end goal is not to check off boxes. I went to church this many times. I read my Bible this many times. It is so that we would worship God and glorify Him in public from a heart that loves Him. And so as parents, one of the things that years ago when I first started preaching on some of these topics, I probably preached Ephesians 6. I walked out. There, I was doing handshake time. I was a youth pastor then, and this guy, he was a, probably a grandpa at this point, and he says, I wish somebody would have told me this 30 years ago. And um, there was regret in that statement. What do you do? Well, you know, as parents, um, I, I think when you've you raised your kids, you can... God's not done with your kids. They may be out from under your authority now. God's not done with them. And pray. All of your pre listen, sometimes your kids think you're preaching at them. Right? There does come a point in time when you say, I've said everything I can say, but you just need to respond to Jesus. And so you pray for that. One other thing. I remember sitting across the table from this uh, mom. She had kids in the youth group, and one of the girl, one of the kids is now a, 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 a pastor's wife, and the other one's a good Christian guy. But the, the oldest boy is in jail. And I remember sitting across the table at, at her, and Satan had been beating the stuffing out of her, just bludgeoning her with guilt. Because you got this one kid who's gone off the deep end. And he's, as far as I know, he's still in jail. Still in prison. And she's like, I, 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 so we homeschooled him. 
We, we took him to church. We did devotions. We volunteered together, and now he's in jail. And, and then she says to me, but God told me I am the perfect father and all of my kids have gone astray. And I was like, I will never forget that story because I've kind of come to know that lots of parents struggle with that. Because lots of parents, you'll, you'll do everything you know how to do. Somebody told you if you do X, Y, and Z, you are guaranteed to get this result, but life has told you otherwise. And Satan wants to beat you up with that. At the end of the day, your children, just like you, are responsible for surrendering to God. And it is towards that that we must pray for our prodigals. Finally, as Chad comes to play our song of invitation, maybe this morning you've kind of gotten a sense of what's a better sense of the sin condition of the human heart. We sin because we are sinners. There's something wrong and broken in our hearts. And God has created, the, He's worked the solution for us that we might be reconciled to Him. And that solution is He sent His Son, Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for all of our rebellion, all of our hatred, all of our bitterness and unforgiveness, and you name all the sins that we could commit. Jesus died on the cross for those things. And he rose again the third day. Well, the Bible is rather simple in what it calls for you to do. It's not enough for you to just say, that's a good story, and I'm so glad God loved me enough to do that. The response is to return from sin, turn to Jesus in faith that he is both your Savior and your Lord. God promises to forgive you of your sin and to give you a new gift called the Holy Spirit. He empowers you and enables you to reclaim God's purpose for your life, purpose which sin is robbing you of. Please stand for our song of invitation. You've been listening to Dr. Dan Kitnoya, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website, calvarytilton.com. That's calvarytilton.com. Thank you for listening.